Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hey Micah, how's it going? Pretty good. I feel like today's a pretty good day. Yeah, right? Like, nothing getting me down either. First week of March, my friend. Oh my gosh. I keep seeing memes saying it's March again, and I'm like, I can't handle that information. You could tell me that, like, this past year hasn't happened. It was just a dream, and I would believe you. Uh Uh-huh. I would believe you if you're like, we're just on, like, the 400th day of March 2020. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty much where my normal timeline ended, so that feels right. Absolutely bonkers. <laughs> oh, crazy. I can't believe it's already spring. I feel like we were just talking about all the things we had planned for this year for the league. I do feel like we are coming through on several of those things. So very excited for, you know, our league fans to see what's coming um, and for us to just like be meeting new people, making new connections and growing the league. Our first link in the newsletter this week is similar to our first link last week. But uh, we're just so excited about it and believe in it so much. And that is the workshop coming up this Saturday with Daniel Nesbitt. It's this Saturday. You reminded me that last night and I forgot it again. And I mean, it's on my calendar because I am obviously (laughs) going to be there. But it's cool. It's going to be we've had a bunch of people sign up so far. Um, It's going to be a really awesome intro to Glyphs Mini, which is our favorite affordable Uh, Mac font software for making fonts, which will be fun to like, for anybody who's like messed around, I think we've kind of said in Illustrator, maybe you've drawn some letters or you're just curious about how font design works and how that's different than just drawing letters. This is gonna be a cool, very approachable, fun intro to like the font production side like we were talking about last week. Yeah, right? It's just, we've seen a practice run of this I really believe in it. And, you know, there's already a good handful of people that have signed up. I think it's going to be like a great meeting of the minds. And I'm sure will be eye-opening for so many people. Daniel's such a wonderful teacher. He's so patient. He's so steady and measured throughout all of his classes. So I I think that it will not disappoint and it will be the first of many. So keep your eyes out. Very exciting. Our first link you found. Um, Very excited about it. Catchy little title called How to Steal Like a Designer and Boost Creativity. And it's a really interesting deep dive into how designers come up with their initial ideas, whether that's conceptual or whether that's, you know, sketching or frameworks for whatever they're designing. And it actually talks about taking a step back and rethinking, you know, your process and optimizing it in ways that can use really great existing work in the world and recontextualizing that work into your own original work and how that can improve the projects you're working on. I really like this message a lot. I have tried to teach this in all of the design courses that I have taught because it's just this weird stigma that I think we were all raised with for reasonable reasons of saying, you know, like don't copy anybody else's test answers and like, you know, plagiarism is bad. Don't, Don't just directly steal content from somebody else. But at the same time, we were also raised with like good artists copy, great artists steal. And I don't think our 
design teachers hone in on what that means enough. Okay, there's a paragraph in this saying, your mind is like a collection of Lego bricks. You can't conjure these bricks from thin air. They're accumulated through different experiences and influences, but you can copy them, transform their shape and size, combine them in new ways to form fresh ideas. And I think that's the heart of what we're trying to talk about in this article is stealing with bad intention is bad and saying, hey, this work that somebody else did is mine, obviously bad. But everything else is just not reinventing the wheel and taking inspiration from things that gave you the right feeling and putting it through your lens as a creative person and doing something interesting with it. I totally agree. I think like the most important takeaway from this article for me was, you know, it's not about copying. You're not making carbon copies of someone else's work. You are recontextualizing things that you see and using it as inspiration for your original work. I think like that really is powerful in its own right because there's so many things we can think about as things we could recontextualize. I remember when I was in school, we were constantly kind of nudged to see art and design that was outside of our discipline because I think that Mm. there's a lot of value in just having a large exposure to great products that come from great thinking. And that's not necessarily in your industry or in your direct execution of your project, but that's always really inspiring. I think there's a really great tactic here about looking at the process of really successful companies or in this context, like products like Uber, Google, Netflix, seeing how they make their um, products and reading about their process and their rationale because there is a quote unquote why for every little detail behind an app. They were talking about Uber, which I thought was really fascinating. And um, talking about this principle that is called the idleness aversion. And Mm. it talks about how people are happier when they're busy. So Uber knew that a pain point in their app was people are waiting for their ride. And so they have kind of provided the user with this animation and gamification and visuals to help engage your user while you're waiting for the ride. That's really interesting. And thinking about that gamification, if you look at like rewards programs, I've been doing a big audit of rewards programs that exist for brands like Starbucks rewards, Dunkin's rewards, you know, Domino's, all the main food chains. They have a really intense gamification of their rewards that uh, some of their interface could remind you of early Mario game collecting Mm. points and seeing numbers roll up in that animate and just like simple cues that they didn't make up from ground zero. They have looked at other things and have applied it to their design. And that is what makes it partially successful. So I think those are great examples of how we see people taking existing subconscious cues and then re-putting them into a whole different world. Gamification is such a good example of this topic. I don't know why that didn't occur to me before, but that's like totally on point. It's literally taking the core concepts from games and the way that you interact with games and applying them to other types of businesses. Yeah. I'm also obsessed with that topic. Like I've read a hundred books. Oh, it's on so it. fascinating. Yeah. We should have a nerd alert on it. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I right? would love that. Oh, we should look into it. Maybe that's I even would... one I could participate in. Oh, I think it would be really fun. But yeah, that even that word is the whole idea of copying from something that's existed and then recontextualizing. Yeah, it. that's that's stealing good ideas and using it in any way. Yeah. So really fascinating article. This whole idea isn't necessarily new, but always great to revisit and think about it in your own day-to-day practice as well. Our next article 
I'm really excited about this article. I like we've we've been simmering with this one for a couple of weeks and we finally found like a good time to put it into the newsletter. I reread it right before we recorded and I'm just like still just so fascinated by this. And it is titled These are the world's most sustainable fonts. And it talks about how Arial and Times New Roman are some of the world's mo- most sustainable fonts. This is like kind of a crazy combination of two hot topics, uh, especially type for us, but sustainability for the world. And like, what does that even mean was my first question. And so the article is about this Amsterdam-based design studio, Forma Phantasma, and a newly redesigned website that they recently published that only uses two typefaces, Arial and Times New Roman, in standard blue and black that kind of reminds us of the early days of the web. So already you're like, huh, what? How does that have to do with sustainability? But actually, they talk about how our web design and web experience relates to sustainability and relates to energy use. So, Micah, you're probably a little bit more familiar with this, but they talk about HTTP requests and how every time that you use a custom font on the web, the web has to connect with a server that will serve you the custom information. So that's a font or it can be the image. And the more data that that is necessary. So for custom fonts, there's more data necessary because we don't have custom fonts usually preloaded on our computer. It takes more energy to provide you with custom fonts or with these images that are on this other server. So by using fonts like Arial or Times New Roman that are already on our computer and pre-downloaded, it requires very little energy to request the display of those fonts. Did I describe that correctly? Yeah, that was very on point. I, I think that's just such an interesting, weird take. I, I hate to be critical. I mean, it's obviously true. It is. Like, every request takes energy, right? And basically anything on a web page that you are requesting is a tiny little chunk of energy. I think it's a little weird that they focus specifically on the fonts. Like, fonts are fairly reasonably sized. I was going to say large. They're not large files on the web, but, you know, I guess they can be if you don't optimize them but certainly like images as well and looking around their website i i don't want to be critical but like they're making other requests on their website you know they're like linking to javascript libraries and stuff oh are they and like they're still linking to images i understand them having to link to images as they are a design studio i see what you mean i think it's interesting that when they do link to images when you roll over the image it tells you what size the image is. That's true. (laughs) That's in direct relation. I understand where you're coming from. I think that this as a tool for like giving this information to the public and having it be like, this is our, you know, interpretation of how to be sustainable on the web is more interesting as an example of what it looks like to be sustainable as the web, as opposed to like the most sustainable, highly disciplined website that exists out there. You're right. Maybe that's a little unfair of my judgment to be like, oh, you're not 112% sustainable. <laughs> you know, that's a fair mm-hmm. point. What I do really like about this is them showing really great typographic control. You know, like they're using fonts that we are all conditioned to be like, oh, you don't use that font, that's ugly. And they're making it look really good with just really basic good typesetting. I agree. I especially love like when you click into some some of their project pages, 
they typeset Times New Roman to look really freaking regal and nice. They have a really nice letter spacing in it and the kind of small all capitals. It's the header of many of their pages. And I'm very impressed. I know that I skipped through the intro where you usually stop me and have me tease the nerd alert, but I might as well tease the nerd alert now <laughs> since this is kind of relevant. The nerd alert, we're going to be talking about the Vignelli paradox, which we have we have coined this, this term. <laughs> So I'm not going to pretend like it's a thing, but it's about how Vignelli, Massimo Vignelli, a very famous graphic designer in the 20th century, stood by his philosophy that a designer only needs somewhere between five and 10 typefaces to make great work for their entire career. He was known for using a very limited amount of typefaces in his really well-known projects. And so we're going to be talking about if that restriction is valuable, if it's beneficial, where the faults kind of lie in it in today's practices and design. So that's going to be a really fascinating conversation. But I think it's interesting that this relates to this site, whereas they are using two of the world's most you know, not thought about fonts. Like people don't consider these the <laughs> pinnacle of design at all. Yet, I think they're able to typeset them in a way that is really successful that I think Vignelli would have approved of. I agree. I agree. I do think this is going to lend some interesting weight to that conversation of like, it can be done really well. And when it's done well, uh, that can be an inspiring thing. Yeah. Um, I look at this site and I'm just curious if we're going to be seeing more of this, if we're going to be hearing more about the topic of web design relating to sustainability in the future and where that's all going to lead to. I do think the web is going a lot in that direction. There was really? kind of a, this is a little bit of a tangent, but there was a product launched by the largest online payment processor, Stripe, mm. whom I... I don't know if we've talked about on the podcast before, but certainly like we use them. Literally everybody uses them. And they launched a program a couple weeks ago that they called Stripe Climate, which is some some sort of like uh, donation type thing that they can that you can include in your payment processing to kind of pay towards removing carbon emissions. Donate this to help remove carbon emissions and make your company automatically in a sense help with sustainability wow yeah how many like always on devices are required to make the web operate the way that we've been using it you know i don't think about that much at all but it it is a very big question fascinating we're getting because deep already we are and we're getting deep later with the nerd alert so we're gonna bring it back to um some more fun surface level design tutorial with our next article it's a tutorial that's called a beginner's guide to applying color in ui design this is wonderful i really enjoyed it i'm not a big digital designer i have very base level knowledge of css and html which are involved in this tutorial but whether or not you do use those code languages i found uh the talk about color theory and designing with color applicable to all sorts of graphic designers. So Micah, I'll let you kind of take away what you loved about this. Yeah, I think this is this was great because I think not very many online design tutorials and even fewer online developer tutorials talk about how to work with 
color and like design principles as you're designing the UI. So like at first glance, if you aren't super into HTML and CSS, you'll look at this and be like, I'm going to gloss over some of this. But they even designed the article, I think, in a pretty good way where these these headings can draw you in to say, no, this section is actually understanding the difference between like what shades mean and how to use different shades to add affinity to a design and make things feel more congruent and connected. And then they go on and talk about like accessibility, like the bare bones point of accessibility is that there's enough visual contrast to make text readable. You know, they talk about like building all of these uh, palettes of colors and how to do that with code, but I think you could like skip over the code stuff if you're not into the code. I'm certainly taking these ideas with me because every once in a while I'm doing visual design for digital products. And while I'm not necessarily coding the colors in there, they show an example of how to use color effectively on a card design, which card designs are really popular on the web. You'll see them a bunch. I've had to design quite a few of them. And talking about how to create a color palette within your card design that will feel sophisticated, feel really polished, and is not necessarily obvious how to get there. All the steps that I think I've taken for granted and could certainly improve as I'm I'm not designing on the web very often, they walk through how to choose a great base color. Choose a vibrant green, it has great contrast. You could use it for your text. Now let's talk about the shades of that green that we can use in other applications within your small uh, card design. And while that just seems really obvious, I found it really kind of eye-opening in several ways. Yeah, I think it's also great because you look at the actual designs as as he's building them along the way, and yeah. you're like, shoot, this is looking good. Oh, this is looking better. Oh, this is looking even better. And that yeah. just reinforces that he knows what he's talking about, and it makes you want to go back and reread it if you were just skimming it. Yeah, honestly, I really could have used, and I, I definitely am going to use this tutorial moving forward with some of my projects, but I could have used this in school when we were first talking about typography and first using color with typography and understanding um, just how nuance changes can be really effective in mm. several ways. Yeah. It does it well. So good darn fine, my friend. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. Our last link, I don't even remember how this popped up on my radar. I think somebody on Twitter might have tweeted it, and I forgot. But this is a weird, random-looking website <laughs> that we found <laughs> that basically compiles a bunch of 
free ebooks to learn about all manner of topics. The title here for this particular section is Free Essential Books for Unicorn Designers, which I always kind of love that term, even though I hate terms like ninja and rockstar. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the unicorn designer essentially being like a designer who can design for print or web or code or, you know, do all of the things. That's a thing a lot of people want to be able to call themselves and to compile mm -hmm. a bunch of books where you're like learning about UI and UX and interface design and business thinking for designers and modes of how to collaborate and animation the great Tim Brown combining typefaces book shape of design from Frank Chimero that I know you know there's like four pages of free books that they have found around the internet and it just seems like a really great resource. I'm very impressed by this. Not only the sheer variety of resources, like I bet you send this to any designer, no matter their discipline, if they're a graphic designer, they will find something that they love or a web designer or a front end developer or a manager of designers. Like, wow, this is just really impressive. I can't wait to dive into some of these like, um, you know, one of them is about, you know, branding just, and it looks, has a fascinating cover. It's called building a brand is like building a house. Um, and that sits right next to the Vignelli Canon, which I was reading uh, this past week in research for the Nerd Alert, uh, which is an ebook that Massimo Vignelli gave to the world um, before he passed away as uh, his, his like free tips from Vignelli to students learning design and, you know, his philosophies and stuff, um, which I never even knew existed until last week. Also, again, all sorts of helpful tips on typography. I will definitely be giving those to future students that I have that want to brush up on specific skills. So, oh my God, great there's even Yeah, there's a bunch of type books in here that I have never seen before that I suddenly, exactly. like I have them all open and I need to check them out because I, I don't know, like I don't know where they found all these things. It's so great. I... Some of them are like, you know, Dropbox links. Some of them are like lead magnets for other businesses or whatever. But I remember we first saw this and you were like, are these all actually free or are we about to promote like stealing stuff? And every single one that I've clicked on so far is like, nope, this is actually free. Yep. It's amazing. There's a whole book on Vietnamese typography. That's like freaking cool to dive into. Actually, that's funny because one of my, uh, what do you call somebody who was a student next to you? <laughs> Uh, classmate peers? yes yeah. one of my classmates senior thesis when we were graduating did a vietnamese typeface because she was vietnamese and like thought there wasn't enough representation in the type community and so she was working on that which i remember being i can't believe cool. i have even heard of this book there's all sorts of testimonials um from people like toshi omagari from monotype that we just talked about his book the other day christian schwartz from commercial type djr wow I, so many people knew about this now i know though so that's exciting yeah yeah this is great this is a great roundup yeah amazing really good find uh lots of just like really interesting helpful links this week so very excited for everyone to have that at their disposal all right, all right. micah <laughs> I can it's see it time coming. it's nerd alert <laughs> this week on our nerd alert, we're going to be talking about creative restrictions and whether or not they help us flourish creatively or restrict us even more to the fact that we can't find ourselves out of the trap of the creative restriction. Um, <laughs> we're really just talking about the Vignelli paradox. Like we mentioned earlier, it is this paradox 
that I feel like is introduced very early on in design. And we're talking specifically with typography this week about how Massimo Vignelli had this philosophy that a great designer only needed around five to 10 typefaces and their arsenal to make great work. And anything beyond that was just like unnecessary and fluffy and really good designers could just work with that amount of typefaces and call it a day. Mike and I have both experienced that restriction forced upon us in design classes and typography classes in school. And these days we're pondering, did that help us? Did that hinder us? What can we actually take away from Massimo Vignelli's philosophy? And wow, also discovered it exists in a broader context, which helped us understand why we were given these restrictions as students. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that didn't come up when all of the teachers in design school said, okay, you have this project, you're only allowed to use one of these 10 typefaces. They did not preface that by saying, here was this guy, (laughs) he's a famous designer, very successful, had this whole theory of creative restriction and how in very functional designs, being expressive with your design choices is a hindrance. It's too much. It takes away from the functionality, right? They didn't say that. They were just like, all right, there's only 10 good typefaces in the world. Everything else is stupid. So you can only use these in your designs because that's what I like. And I always rebelled against that. I mean, I would do the assignment and then at the same time be like, I know that this is wrong. Like, this is just your preference. And there's plenty of times when wild and crazy and expressive typography is totally the right choice. So you can't be right about that. And I think you bring up Massimo the other day and his bigger theory of restriction actually ties to something that I've also taught in a lot of the design classes that I've taught which is that limitation breeds creativity that giving yourself creative restrictions you then like try to find some solution of the problem in front of you that you never would have found before because you couldn't do it the way that you used to do it by default. I'm curious a little bit more about your experience. Learning as a student with that restriction, were there any positives to the experience? How long were you like in classes where they were like, mm, you can only use this amount of typefaces? Any benefits, any issues that you saw? I think I'm just curious what you observed when you were under those restrictions. I think, if I'm honest, I remember observing both good and bad outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it is still a limitation that makes you be creative in a new way. And so when we did have to do that for a project, or I swear there were some classes where the teachers were like, no, I only like these typefaces, so that's all you can use all semester. So it definitely did force you to invent new designs that you wouldn't have. But I also think without the context... A lot of people graduated from that experience saying there's only 10 good typefaces, which just is not true. And it like, if you go through design thinking about that way, and I know people who then literally have like spent their entire career, I think, only using a handful of typefaces because those are the ones that they like and they've gotten away with it and made good work with it. They maybe get very good at using those typefaces, but it also eventually turns into like a creative rut, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're just making the same thing over and over. Yeah. I think I also had classes as a student where I was also restricted. Um, I think for one semester typography, we could only use Univer and Germond. Another semester, I think we had like a whole list of 14. And it was like the classic 14. It was like a few that Massimo mentioned, like 
you know, Univer, Helvetica, Futura, Optima, Garamond, Clarendon, maybe. I found that it does make you put value into typesetting techniques. And I do think that it does make you try to use typesetting as a means to express the text and message of your typography project. That was never something I considered. And I was early in design. So it's not like I was really considered typesetting that much either. But I think it's interesting that you're like, you can't convey a playful, warm, fuzzy feeling with, you know, playful, warm, fuzzy typeface. Let's see how you can make that work with this set of restrictions. I think that it does make you think about typography expression in a specific way. But I also agree i actually think that it makes people really scared to use a lot of typefaces uh, moving out of that restriction because they didn't they don't know how to use really expressive letter forms and use them in a way that makes sense and in a way that is playful and uh just as just as skilled as using uh non-expressive letter forms in that way which is i think massimo's philosophy so we can talk about why i think that massimo's you know philosophy about the five time typefaces has really been taken out of context because i was doing a lot of research on him and his designs and i was just like curious i was like this has to have influence design in some way and how is it it really doesn't go back to oh these are the only ones that are good there therefore you know we can never expand upon this it was he was just a really strict modernist who followed a really strict philosophy. He was always favoring compactness, clear hierarchy, dramatic contrasts. He loved seeing scales of different type on one page and seeing how that could, you know, be dramatic and expressive in its own right. He admired the classic typefaces. And with that, he also had really restrictive typesetting traditions. Like he would never use paragraph indents and always avoided hyphenations and made these really solid columns. That in itself is following a strict philosophy and ideology that everything should be as concise as possible. And he even stated that type is important, but structure should always come first. So we had this stress on the architecture of the layouts. um, And he thought that, you know, even the type choice wasn't super relevant because the design was not supposed to be about self-expression or novelty. The, the design was really about this architecture that he was talking about. So I think once you actually understand all of these contexts, it makes it very clear that like merely using just a few typefaces to create designs for your own work isn't necessarily getting at the essence of what he was working towards. To work towards him, you really have to understand his ideology and the way that he structured his designs and understanding where he was coming from at the heart and core of his designs for graphic design, industrial design, product design, he made furniture. He had this at the heart of everything. And this doesn't mean that we should all just be following his footsteps of choosing a handful of typefaces and then being like, well, that's what Massimo did. And he was really successful at what he did. So this is a great place to start. Well, it, it can be a great place to start for some students. It's understanding why he did this. And understanding the fact that he was looking for a very specific overall view of design. And that didn't include using typography for pictorial exercises, as he called them. You know, he also said that I'm aware there's room for that, but it is not my language and I'm not interested in it. That's literally what he said. So just See, because he had this I problem, love that. Like that's you know? that's where the context should have been. It shouldn't have been 
here's how you design here you know we want you to get good at typography so you can only use 10 fonts it should have been here's information about this guy's philosophy let's design like him for a project exactly and the next project you talk about some other designer that is also successful and their philosophy think about Urblu Ballin he used so many different typefaces you know he was famous for creating avant-garde but he was so experimental and expressive with type that I personally look up to him a little bit more on my day-to-day than necessarily Massimo Bignelli because I'm more concerned about, you know, making designs that feel unique and having typography really lead the way for how a customer perceives maybe whatever brand I'm designing. So I love that you said that. Yeah, that just makes me think, man, we should make a type design class like that or something, you know? Yeah. Like that, that just seems like a really cool way to learn about both history and learning which approach to design is right for you. It's almost like going to college and trying a bunch of different majors and then being like, oh, this is the one that works for me. I like it. I'm going to keep going with that. Yeah, because I totally believe there are people that can follow Vignelli's philosophy. I think honestly, (laughs) if I had learned about him actively in school i would have been like oh i love this guy's philosophy this is the kind of designer that i'm gonna be Mm -hmm. massimo vanelli was doing a lot of information design his mta subway poster for new york city he created like the structure of what we're using today and that's great but you know i think his philosophy worked really well for that project on information design you shouldn't go crazy with typography for information design that's not like the purpose of information design you know and a lot of the work he did really lent itself well to his philosophy. But I think we have so many other kinds of designers and type of work that we're creating. Think about social media. I don't know if like Masvo's, uh, you know, philosophy of using scale, really large text, really tiny text would work if you're designing social graphics for a brand and specific stuff like that. So, you know, I think that it's, it's great to understand his whole philosophy and decide what you want to bring into your own practice but just cherry picking the 10 typefaces is great to you know start off may work in some contexts, but shouldn't necessarily be the first step for every designer that's learning about typography i think this is a really cool topic for us too because we know that so many uh league members especially but also like people who are just out on the newsletter and in the podcast are design teachers and so i'm really curious you know for the design teacher folk out there is this something that you have thought about as you have approached how to teach design and or honestly have you ever like used this technique and you know now in the context of the conversation maybe realized there wasn't enough context to you using that approach with students. I think this conversation is just as much for the designers as it is for the educators and the students thinking about how they're approaching their process moving forward. Totes. And if you want to read more about Massimo Vignelli's philosophies, I did a little bit of skimming of the Vignelli Canon, which is, again, his free ebook that's available online. And you can go to that link we shared earlier about all the free ebooks. I closed the link. What was the link called? It was called the Lapa Books. It was like Lapa.ninja slash books. I hope everyone's enjoyed this week's little chat. If you have any thoughts, opinions, you know, want to just chat with us, our inboxes are always open to you all. We love hearing from our friends. And hopefully we're going to see a bunch of you wonderful humans in the workshop on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs>